Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to continue our study here on kingdom living in the midst of a broken world. And uh, I just want you to know this is a very special weekend for Karina and I. We are celebrating our 28th wedding anniversary, you know? In fact, that's what it looks like right there. Okay, yeah. I'm glad we got all my friends are all excited about that. I know you're clapping online too. Okay, so this is, this is what we look like. So Karina, Karina's timeless, and uh, yeah, yeah, I've made a few changes there, you know? I lost some hair. Everything's good though, right? So that's, that's what it looked like, you know? Weddings are just really joyous occasions, lots of fun. Uh, that was certainly the case for ours. Uh, not only had all my family there, but Karina and I were leading a youth group, and we had kids everywhere. In fact, we didn't eat any of our food at the reception because they ate it all. Okay, so it was amazing. But anyway, um, we, we had this great photographer, Michael, and he was like, you know, like photographers are like real creative, and they like to get the ultimate shot. And that, so this this guy, Michael, man, he had all planned out all these different shots, and he wanted to go. There's a lake near Southwest Bible Church where we got married in Beaverton, Oregon, so he wanted to take some really cool shots at the lake. And, but I'm like, yeah, that sounds really good. That would be really good. But then he sprung it on us like, not only do I want to take pictures by the lake, I want to take pictures with you on it. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I wanted to put you in a canoe, and I think this will be this great shot here. And I'm like, really? okay, you know, and so talking over with Karina and like, yeah, okay, I mean, I, have you guys ever been, been in a canoe? You know, I mean, it's like you're rocking back and forth real easily. I, I have been dumped in a canoe and I'm like, Ugh, but yeah, let's go ahead and do it. You know, I mean, you only get, you're going to have this great marriage, this great wedding, everybody's going to be there. So we did. Now, Michael remembered everything on the day of our wedding except one critical piece. You may not see it there. You may have missed it but there was no paddle. He remembered everything but the paddle. He's got the canoe. We're at the lake. He's like, oh, you know, just a small problem. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a paddle, but we can definitely do this shot. No problem. Like, what? You know, like, and, it, and news quickly spread that we didn't have a paddle. Now, I want you to know that my mother and Karina's mom were totally against this, and they were like, oh, no, you should not do this. But he was like, oh, yeah, and, you know, it sounded like the thing to do. So there was a hardware store not too far away. I sent one of my brothers to run out there and, like, try to get a paddle. And if you can't, just get a pole. And, of course, they aren't selling paddles at true value. So they show up with this wooden pole. And Karina and I get in this canoe. And there we go out there. And, you know, we're doing everything to keep it just steady. Uh, It looks like everything's calm. Things, like, the mothers are like, ah, you know, shaking. They're all freaking out out there. And I want you to know we got the successful picture it is really hard to use a pole to get back to land, but we, we did, okay? And, and we made it. Now, no one got dumped. There was a lot of relief. My brothers were kind of like egging me on to like, why don't you just dump it? You know what I'm saying? They wanted to see it dumped, but I want you to know, uh, maybe the Spirit of God took over, but I didn't do it. Or I was thinking like, this is probably not a good way to get your marriage started, dumping the canoe. Let's just go back. It'll be nice and peaceful. And I've had a successful first voyage with my new wife. So there we are. So that happened. Now, I tell you all this because um, paddles are kind of critical to uh, having a canoe and being successful out on the water. In fact, if you don't have a paddle, it's going to be very difficult to canoe. I want you to also know that there is a parallel. If you don't have the quality of gentleness, I want you to know it's going to be really rough. Your life isn't going to work the way you would hope for 
or the way God intended. I mean, gentleness makes all of the difference. It brings about maturity and stability. It's the secret to a warm personality. You ever notice like there's just some people that are just kind of magnetic and you like to be with them? I want you to know they've got that quality of gentleness. It's, it's evident. If you are a spiritual leader, if you consider yourself a spiritual leader, the book of Titus tells us that this is an essential quality. You have got to be gentle. And as we've been talking about being a kingdom living in a broken world, this is an essential quality, but I want you to know it's rarely ever talked about. Has anybody ever read a book on gentleness? Didn't think so. In fact, I'm not even sure there is one. Like when you have like those strength finders, does meekness come up, like gentleness? On a resume for, you know, like you business owners and those of you that are kind of calling through, you know, hundreds of resumes or you have personally written a resume, have you ever put on right up front meek, meekness, right? Is that your lead trait? I've never seen it. I've looked at hundreds of resumes. I've never actually seen gentleness or meekness on any resume because meekness sounds a little bit like weakness, and that's exactly what we don't want to be, right? In fact, some people think that's, that's what gentleness is. If you're a weak individual, you're meek, then you don't have a lot of strength. You're not going to amount to a whole lot, and that's because... I think almost everyone does not understand what it means to be gentle. And yet it's a critical trait. In fact, as we're going through these beatitudes, remember from the Latin word beatus, blessing, happy, Jesus, as he begins his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he lists these qualities, and one of the qualities that he lists, I will call it the forgotten beatitude, the forgotten quality, is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where he says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. If you ever tried to rehearse the Beatitudes, I'm going to count that this is probably the one that you miss. So let's remember, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. You see that there? He's speaking to his disciples. These are those who are following Jesus. They are learners. To be a disciple is one who is in an intentional and relational process of maturing as a Christ-centered believer and is being mobilized for ministry. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's an intentional relational process. You are growing, maturing as a Christ-centered individual. Everything about you is about Jesus And God is then at the same time mobilizing you for his ministry, his kingdom purposes. So how does God do this? How does God develop the confident strength that comes from gentleness? That's what I want you to see today because, friends, this is critical. In fact, it will be the difference in your marriage, if you're married, with your family, at work, in our church, in our community, in our country. Do you have this trait? So how does God develop this confident strength of gentleness? Well, first of all, I want to show you is that you have to live in the Holy Spirit's strength. To be blessed, you see that verse 5? We we keep encountering this word. It is the God-given capacity to enjoy God's goodness and to express it to others. It's the God-given capacity to experience goodness, goodness from God, and to extend it and to express it to others. 
And so he says, blessed are the gentle. Now, what does it mean to be gentle? It means to have power under control. It's the opposite of being out of control. It is the trait of having strength under control where you are kind and caring. You have the ability to attract trust and retain it. It's an internal quality, and I want you to know you can't manufacture it. It is spirit-given. Galatians chapter 5, I'm sure you're familiar with this, the fruit of the spirit. I would imagine that some of you are like, I've, I've got this memorized. I know, uh, just to kind of look you out here, like, lots of you, you express this. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's Genesis 5, I mean, Galatians 5, verse 22. But then you know how verse 23 begins? Ah, there's our word. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You see, gentleness comes from God. The gentleness that we are speaking about. To be consistent, to be reliable to be trustworthy. Now, you're thinking like, well, this verse says here, blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. What? That's not the world that I live in. I live in a world that it's like dog eat dog, you know? It's the early bird, they get the worm kind of mentality, right? The gentle person, the only thing they get is they get left out. That's what the world thinks. But God says, I want you to have gentleness, which means we have to have a whole new appreciation for what this means. Now, this adjective was actually used to describe horses that had been broken and trained and were very useful. Now, when we talk about breaking horses, and I know that, that we have quite a few people in our church that ride horses and train horses, and you have horses out on your ranch, but how do you go about this? When we talk about breaking a horse, it's not that we want to break them of their strength. We don't want to break them of their speed, do we? What do we want to do? We, it's to break them of their self-will, where they become completely trusting with the rider. They are going to be useful for all sorts of purposes. And so that's the process. So how do you do that? It's training through trust. Now, I know in the history of breaking horses, there have been some ways that, have, uh, that are not going to be overly helpful. They probably do more harm than good. But they have found that the best way to train horses is to do so through trust. I was doing some research on this. I came across a horse trainer by the name of Erica Ash, and I want to read you just a few excerpts of her article on how to train horses. It says, building a connection and trust-based bond with horses is the foundation to everything you want to do and achieve. But like any relationship, it is important that it is joyful, based on trust and mutual connection, not a fight, a dread, worrisome, overwhelming, fear-based, or lacking trust. A horse who lacks trust will often be harder to train, unmotivated, unwilling, and will have many issues or problems. A trusting horse, on the other hand, will follow you anywhere and hardly flinch at something new. A trusting horse will be willing to work because she knows you have her best interest in mind. These horses are attentive, motivated, and quick learners. They're also easier to catch and halter in the field, and they want to be with you no matter what. And they have comparatively little regard for the other horses. You know, that's what it looks like to train a horse. You do it through trust. But I want you to know that's what God is looking to do with each one of us. And until we have come to a place where we are really given to God, 
and we're yielded to him and we actually trust him, I just want you to know this is what it looks like. You're going to kick, buck, snort, fight. Your ears are going to go back. You're going to be difficult to be around because you haven't allowed God to cultivate gentleness in your life. Southern horse breeders uh, used to have this saying, the meekest horse wins the race. And what that meant is that the horse that best responded to its training, that is the horse that is going to win the race. You know, that's what God is looking to do with us, to develop us to trust him so that we are power under his control. We're walking in his spirit. We're moving in God's ways, in God's strength. An- another example of like power under control is kind of from the circus world. Now, in the, in the circus, they have like elephants. And one of the things they do, like elephants are massive beasts. I don't know if you've ever been close up to an elephant, but they're just, it's just overwhelming how big and how powerful they are. In the circus, they would, uh, some of the acts would actually have an elephant and they would take like their big old foot and just using just a little bit of like their 8,000 pounds, they just push against a watermelon underneath their foot and that watermelon go and shoot in 10 to 20 feet just in every direction. Just, okay? And everyone's like, wow, that's really cool. But I don't know where they came up with this idea. And kids, do not try this at home. But then the elephant trainer, after showing the power of what happens with a watermelon, would then kneel down and put his head where the watermelon once was and have the elephant then stand on his head. And people are like, ah, don't do that. We have, we're going to see what's going to happen here. This is terrible. But the elephant would just kind of like rest his foot and, it, and he would not smash the head of his trainer. You know what that is? That's gentleness. That is power under control. And it's a little crazy. So please don't try that. I mean, can you imagine trying to get life insurance? Says, what are you doing? I'm an elephant trainer. Oh, really? You're out. Nope, there's no way we can help you here. But that's what they were showing is like, that is immense power under total control. And that's what God is looking to do with us. You know, the same concept of gentle, uh, we get it from in our, in our English language uh, that was actually used of the upper class in England. Those that were very refined and dignified and, and just seemingly under great control. And they, they only had lots of resources. And they were in control of lots of resources and had a lot of power. But they handled themselves in a particular way. They were gentlemen. That's where the concept comes from. Great power under control. Uh, growing up, I'm the oldest of four boys. Um, so when my mom would take us out in the public... Um, we were always like wrestling and fighting and tripping one another. I mean, <laughs> it, would, it was a circus like where we would go. And my mom was trying to refine us, you know, kind of coming from the settings that we were. And so we're out in public. And sometimes she's like, boys, I expect you to act like gentlemen when we're out here, you know, and we're like on the floor. And like, I think my mom was thinking about this. I need you to get in control of yourself, right? And I need you to act respectable. Power under control, not tripping your brother and pushing him around all the time, right? Well, that's what God is looking to do with us. You see, the opposite 
of gentle is to be out of control. It's like seen in a hurricane. A hurricane just blows wherever, and it creates a lot of wreckage. It's just, it's immense power, but under no control. And a person that does not have the God-given, cultivated development of gentleness, they're kind of like a walking hurricane. And maybe you've been that person. Maybe you are. And I can assure you, you've encountered people like this. And they kind of create wreckage wherever they go, don't they? I mean, they'll manipulate, they'll use guilt, anger, they'll do whatever they want to get what they want. In fact, they feel as if it's like tantamus to self-betrayal, not to just act this way. And God wants to change change this. Without meekness, there is no maturity. If you really want to grow and mature and develop spiritually, this has to be your trait gentleness. And so I want you to know that it really is rooted actually in your relationship with God. Gentleness really comes from a position of trusting God's sovereignty, to trust that actually he knows best and he's in control, that you don't have to manipulate circumstances and to try to force things and and be so consumed about you and getting your way. I'm like, oh, I might just miss this opportunity. And you're just like a nervous wreck all the time. It, it comes to, like, God, I'm resting in you and your sovereignty. It begins with an attitude toward God, and it then starts being expressed to others. You experience yourself first, but then it gets started to express to others. That's why you are blessed if you have it. So let me just tell you, how do you, how do you develop gentleness? Ask the Lord. Lord, What does gentleness look like in this relationship, in this situation? Lord, what would that look like? Power, your power, me, under your control. And then ask the Lord, God, would you do this? Would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to experience me under your control? To use me for your purposes, Help me, God, to experience self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit, so that I can experience gentleness and see the changes that God can bring. How does God develop the confidence, strength of gentleness? First of all, you have to live in the Spirit's strength. But let me give you another. You have to learn from Jesus. You have to learn from Jesus. Several chapters from here, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, after giving this sermon and making, highlighting how important it is that you and I are gentle, he makes these statements. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Listen to what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And listen to what he says. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me. I am absolute, total power under complete control. I am absolutely doing the Father's will. I am gentle and I'm humble. And if you will learn from me, you can finally have peace. You know how you're living in all that turmoil and you're just a wreck all the time? 
God says, I, I want you to learn from me. That's why Jesus makes this invitation. I want you to know gentleness was one of the foremost qualities of Jesus. I mean, let's just look even like right at the end, like right before he goes to the cross. I mean, gentleness. On the week before Passover, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, remember that for that final time? I mean, here is the king, and everybody is like kind of recognizing that Hosanna, son of David, right? And they're kind of putting down palm branches and their cloaks. And do you know what it says in Matthew chapter um, 21, verse 5? It says this, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy written in Zechariah 9.9. In Matthew 21.5, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you gentle. That's the word. Power under control and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Think of it. Just a few days later, remember in the upper room, they're celebrating the Passover, and Jesus is going to use elements of the Passover to then serve as the basis for communion for his people for all time. But you remember that at this Passover feast, which would be like this great grand meal, there was something that was supposed to happen at the beginning. There was supposed to be a servant that would wash feet, right? Because your feet get dirty walking around on all the dirt roads out there. That was the custom. It, and the kind of the lowest servant would wash feet. Well, all the disciples were all gathered and were like, man, I'm, I just got done talking about how I might be the greatest, you know? And Jesus, key guy, there's no way I'm going to be washing anybody's feet, right? And they went through the whole meal. And Jesus watched all this. And then after the meal, it says that Jesus took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. And he got out that basin and that pitcher of water. And he got down on his knees and he started wiping and cleaning and rubbing and getting the dirt and the grit off his disciples' feet. You know what he's doing, don't you? He's demonstrating gentleness. You remember um, shortly after that, you know, they're praying in the garden and um, the soldiers the temple soldiers come with the Jewish leaders to apprehend Jesus. And they ask, you know, who are you looking for? Well, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Remember that in John chapter 18? And Jesus stood up and said, I am he. Do you know what happened immediately after he said that? Remember? They hit the ground. I am Yahweh, the God's personal name. Did you hit the ground from the expression of who he is, the self-existent one. I mean, they showed up with their puny little swords and clubs as if, like, seriously? You're going to take on God and apprehend him with these little trinkets? But I want you to know, Jesus said, I am he. And once they got back up and, like, what in the world just hit us? Did you know that he went without a fight? In fact, you know, one of his guys even pulled out a sword, like, is this, this is fight time. Oh, let's go to the mat on this one. You know, and he took a name and, at one of them, took off an ear. Jesus had to heal that and says, you don't even know what you're doing. Put your sword away, right? But he went in what? Gentleness. You remember his, when he, they had apprehended him and, and they took him to these mock trials, They're running in the middle of the night, and they falsely accused him? You know, Jesus never defended himself. He was absolutely silent like a lamb before its shears. You know, when he was unjustly sentenced by the Roman governor, 
He could have said, hey, I demand justice here. He, he could have thrown all sorts of like, this isn't right, you know. I haven't had a fair trial. You just got out of bed. You, you haven't even combed your hair, and you're pronouncing judgment. You know what? Jesus did none of that. He didn't even demand a fair trial. And when, in fact, remember when Jesus hung on the cross? You know, at the, uh, he could have summoned legions of angels. He could have put this all to rest. He could, have, he could have eliminated all the pain that he's going through. He could have just said, we're, we're done with this. All of you that are mocking me, we're, we're going to once for all, you're, you're done. But you know what? He didn't. And I'm going to tell you why. Gentleness. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And while being reviled, he did not revile return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's exactly what he had been praying about in the garden. Do you remember that? Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, God, would you take it? But not my will, but yours be done. Absolutely given over to the Father's control. And friends, that's what God is calling us to do. We need to learn from Jesus, right? We, we're his disciples. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple, which means that you are growing in your relationship with him. He is going to refine and transform you, right? We've got to grow in gentleness. And I, I want you to know that gentleness doesn't come naturally to me. It, it just doesn't. I got enough type A in my blood. It just kind of keeps you going and going. You know what I'm saying? And I've blown it lots of times in this area right? I, I'd imagine I'm not the only one. I mean, you all have your masks on, so you're like, good thing I got the mask on here, but I want you to know that behind the mask, I have a feeling that you've blown it too, right? In fact, you might be like 0 for 3 already this morning in the category of gentleness, you know? It was a rough car ride over, the clothes weren't working, I burned the breakfast, you know, and it's just, and so we, we face this reality, and, it, and I tell you what, Life is hard. It's almost like it goes against the grain of cultivating gentleness because it's oftentimes we're in a trial. I mean, we're in a pandemic and there's all these problems. There's difficulties. There's finances. I mean, you can be going through a trial. You're going through a difficulty. All of a sudden, things aren't going right. You're hungry on top of that. That makes it exponentially worse. I mean, just, and all these things go. And then to respond and to act like with gentleness, um, well, that's going to take a work of God. And that's exactly what God is seeking to do. He's trying to develop the greatness of gentleness. And I want you to know that's what's needed. That's actually what's needed in your heart and mine. Gentleness is what's needed in our marriages. Our kids are looking for that. And I've disappointed my kids at times where just haven't been gentle. But that's what they're looking for. Um, our neighbors they don't really want you being cranky and all upset about real just slight, mild things. They're looking to see if, if Jesus is alive and well on their street. At work, that's what's needed. You know, in our schools, instead of powering up and trying to be the prettiest person on your Instagram post or whatever you're doing and your little story, don't you think that God is seeking to show the world what gentleness, true power under his control looks like? In fact, this is how we're to live. Remember Ephesians chapter 4? 
Paul writes this statement. Listen to this. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, stop right there. Why is he saying that? Because being a prisoner is difficult. You think this pandemic is like, well, it's really you know, been infringed on my life and it's affecting my ability to move around. How would being a prisoner work for you? And then listen to what he says. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, listen to this, with all humility and, ah, there's our word, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. You see it? That's, that's what God is seeking to do. And Paul says, you know what? I'm learning this too. I'm learning it as a prisoner. But we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you know what that looks like? For those of us who are following Jesus, it looks like humility and gentleness. Us under his control. And friends, when we live like this, this is what allows us to really love in profound ways, to love deeply, to to listen empathetically, and to live graciously. But it's all rooted in this characteristic of gentleness that God is seeking to develop. And the only way that we're going to do this is if we learn from Jesus. You know, I have found that that's what I, I need to do. I don't have it all figured out. What I need to do is just keep going back to Jesus. Lord, will you teach me? I'm done being my own guy, right? I really want to be fully your guy. I want to learn from you. And I want you to know that Jesus is the master teacher. Do you see how he demonstrated gentleness, power under control all the time? He can teach you, and he hasn't given up on you. Okay, so all of us that have really blown it, like, whoa, gentleness, definitely the weak suit in my hand, right? I want you to know he is such a generous, gracious teacher. He's going to keep developing you and helping you grow, and he wants you to flourish. So don't give up on yourself because God's not giving up on you. He, in fact, says this is your moment to take steps of growth. And let's just see what you and I look like under God's power. So how does God develop the great confident strength of gentleness? He does so when we are actually living in the Holy Spirit strength. We are learning from Jesus. And let me point one more thing out from this verse. We look to God's reward. See what it says? Verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What, what exactly does that mean? They shall inherit the earth. You see, he's saying, let your life be reflected with you under my control, and I will be the one who will reward you. I want you to live with an eternal perspective. Before you and I knew Christ, we only could live for the horizontal. Hence, our whole life and our feelings and how we responded was all based upon what we could see. It was all very horizontal. But when you enter into a relationship with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have the capacity to live beyond just the here and now, but you have a vertical perspective, an eternal perspective to life. And when he says that the gentle share inherit the earth, he's talking about the fact that you and I will eventually reign with Christ. You see this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. You see this thousand-year reign of Christ. And if you like, well, how do you know it's a thousand years? Six times in seven verses, he says it is a thousand years. 
And furthermore, if you keep reading in the book of Revelation, you find in verse, chapters 21 and 22, there is a new heavens and a new earth. Who's going to be on this new heavens and new earth? Who's going to be worshiping God and just thrilled and awed by the immensity of God's power and creation? Us. You'll inherit the earth. In fact, this beatitude is actually directly from Psalm 37, verses 9 through 11. It says this, where Paul, I mean, excuse me, the psalmist is contrasting the destinies between the gentle and the wicked. He says in Psalm 37, For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and a wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But listen to this, verse 11. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. They shall inherit the earth. Those who inherit God's blessings are in relationship with his son. That's why he is saying this. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, you will inherit the world. You'll inherit what the world values, like wealth and fame. No, no, no. You'll inherit not the world, but the earth. I will be there. My goodness will be expressed. And so, friends, I want you to know that, like, gentleness, if you listen to Jesus and you really take this to heart, guess what? You're going to experience growth and maturity. There's going to be so much more peace in your life, in your relationships. I mean, you're going to grow. You're like, I am so glad that I really tuned into this verse. But I want you to know the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You take God at his word, and when we are actually celebrating and worshiping together in his presence in eternity, and we actually see the fulfillment of this, we're going to be like, whoa, far greater than I ever would have imagined. Friends, we are the fellow heirs of Christ. And what he's seeking to do is develop eternal eyes. Eternal eyes. Sometimes I like wonder, like, why am I so myopic? Why do I just kind of focus kind of on the here and now and kind of what I can see like two or three steps down the road? God wants to, to expand our vision and to see things from an eternal perspective. Um, I want you to know that in the great pains and the difficulties of life, when you're perplexed and you're hurt and you're beat up, having an eternal perspective will make all the difference. Paul wrote about this. He says, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen, what? They are temporal. But the things that are not seen, they are eternal. That's why in, in chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, I can deal with hardship and perplexities. I can, de- I can actually handle being beat up and misunderstood because I'm not just living for the here and now. Actually, I'm living for the greater glory, God's glory, God's kingdom. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And did you see that? I, I hope you don't miss this. You see, what is the word? Who gets the earth? Though that you inherit the earth, right? You don't earn it, you inherit it. What does it mean to inherit something? It's to receive possession by virtue of relationship, right? That's how an inheritance works. In fact, uh, you, you don't earn it, 
you to inherit something, you do nothing except you have relationship. In fact, if you try to somehow get an inheritance, like you're going to manipulate yourself, manipulate people and circumstances to kind of like ingratiate yourself to someone, we're like, oh, I really wish my rich uncle would die real soon so I could get all their money. I want you to know you've like disqualified yourself. Who receives the earth? Who is the one that's blessed? It's those that inherit. Those who inherit God's blessings, they're the ones in a right relationship with the Son. That's what's absolutely important. Remember what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I, I'll give you rest. Are you tired of the poor self-management you've given your life? Are you tired of living with guilt? Are you tired of just being unforgiven? Are you tired of just trying to force things and manipulate things? Are you tired of the lack of gentleness in your life? If you are, if you've finally been brought to the end of yourself, that's when you're in a position to receive grace to receive even the inheritance. And you do so by simply trusting in Jesus and putting your faith in him. And what God is seeking to develop is gentleness. And friends, this is what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. And this is the need of the hour. If you just finish this message and you just like leave here and like, oh, that was nice. Friends, God is looking to use you in our world. We are in the midst of a pandemic. People are falling apart. They are besides themselves. We have got some serious societal hurt in our, in our world, and especially in our country. Racism is deeply painful. Have you talked to someone, a minority? Have you talked to an African-American and just asked them about what they're feeling? I want you to do that if you're to hear the pain and the anguish. What's needed is gentleness. It's what God is seeking to do in his people. I believe that the church is the answer because God has brought the gospel to those who are believing in him and they're being transformed by him. If you just try to solve symptoms, create some new rules, that's not going to work. The human heart must be changed, and there's only one that can change it, and it is God. And we who actually know God because we have a relationship with Christ, we've got the answer. That's why we must give ourselves to the Great Commission and be involved in the work that God has called us to do. You see, the power of God's presence is displayed in the gentleness of his people. Recently, I I received a gift. It was this print. In fact, here's a, a picture of it. It's a print called The Divine Servant from John 13. I want you to know in, in this picture, nothing is missing. Nothing. Um, I want you to know this, this print um, is, has actually had deep impressions on me for a long time because there is a bronze of this on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. And while I was working on my doctorate, I'd, I'd go, and I would like sit by this bronze and I would sit at different angles and always just look at it and be a place of great, great meditation and awesome times of prayer. Realization that this is what God has called me to do in Christ. When I teach my classes up there, I take my students 
and I have them slowly walk around this and just look at this because I'm saying, this is what we're called to. The order of the towel. We're called to serve like Jesus. You know what this picture is, don't you? This is gentleness. Absolute power under control. And that's what God is looking to do in us. The power of God's presence is displayed in the gentleness of his people. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord.